Good morning, GPC Church family. It is good to see you on what is a cold morning, but a good morning to come together. Uh, for several weeks now, we've been looking at what we're calling a ministry purpose, uh, what the church exists to do, who we exist to be in the world. And I said it before and I'll say it again. This is a great time to be visiting Greenwood Presbyterian Church. Uh, we're able to explore together in these sermons what is the church according to Scripture? What is it really about? And what is this church seeking to do? And who are we seeking to be in the world? So if you're visiting us, I think it really is a good time to visit uh, GPC, Greenwood Presbyterian Church. And let me say this. This is not an official announcement, but it's close to one. Okay. If you're a visitor, if you've been visiting us for a while, and if you're one, I think I've had seven or eight families say, we'd like to consider joining the church. Um, if, if that is your category, if you would like to find out more about joining the church, okay, this is not an official announcement, but I want you to go ahead and mark your calendar and protect a lunch for the possibility of having lunch together with those who are interested in learning more about membership on February 27. That's three weeks from today. That's a tentative plan. There's some details to work out, uh, but I wanted to get that on your calendar as quickly as possible so you could protect it. So I'm going to see if we can host a lunch, get everybody together that's interested in joining, perhaps have some families there, maybe some elders and try to talk more about what it means to be a member at Greenwood Presbyterian Church. Okay, more on that perhaps next week. This morning we're going to continue looking at what I've called this, this trifold purpose of the church. It's one purpose, but it's got three parts. And the way I'm wording it as a potential purpose statement for GPC is this. To reach... Nurture and equip God's people for God's worship and service in God's world. And so each week we've taken a piece of that. We looked in week one what it was to seek to be a reaching community, to reach people with the gospel, to be a welcoming community that intentionally is reaching. And we talked about how all the parts of what we do should have a reaching component and interest in them. That's what it is to be the church according to Scripture. We want to reach, we want to offer, we want to welcome, we want to host. We want to be a reaching community. And then last week we looked at what it is to be a nurturing community. That we prioritize, because God's Word tells us to, the nurture of our own children, covenant children, that the scriptures say they are holy to the Lord and they are to be reared in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And we take that seriously. and We want to fan those flames for you at home and we want to nurture them when in the church. And we want to see a whole network of communities and friendships that take nurturing our children seriously. And we're learning more and more that if we don't nurture our children, the world is more than happy to. They're more than happy to disciple our children. And so our task and our work 
is especially challenging. It's always been challenging, but it's especially challenging in this very confused and conflicted world that our children are growing up in. And now the third part of that single purpose this morning is that we want to be an equipping community. We want to be a community that if you're a part of us, you're going to be equipped for worship and service of God in God's world. And so our passage this morning is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Give your attention to God's word. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ." From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. A beautiful but mysterious image of what the body of Christ, the church, can be and should be. Let's pray for God's help in understanding it. Lord, would you take our few minutes together now in your word to help us to see what it means to be equipped for service and for worship and how those lie at the very heart of our purpose as a church according to your word. Give us attention to hear. Bless the words that are spoken. We ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, come here and you will be well equipped. Have you ever heard that? Who is not saying that these days? Listen, gymnasiums advertise that way. Your local gyms advertise that way. Come here and we will well equip you. Schools, colleges, universities speak in that language. Come to us. We will equip you well for life. Even libraries talk that way. Spend more time here and you'll be well equipped. It's the language of recreation clubs, country clubs. Come to us and you will be well equipped. So are you telling me, Pastor Paul, the church is trying to get into the same business as all these other equipping things. Well, this morning, I hope that you'll see according to Scripture, it was God's idea first. He claims the promise of being the equipper 
of what he calls the saints. According to his word, his church, he is the equipper. He has called the people to be equipped and he provides the means to equip them. And, and just like we've seen in other weeks, we will share a language with the world. We'll share a vocabulary with the word, with the world. But our definition of the terms tends to be very different, the way we see and explain things. So there are all kinds of opportunities within five miles of here to be a part of an organization that will seek to equip you. It's true. But there's something very special about the kind of equipping and the kind of equipment that God says he does for his church. And that's what I want to highlight this morning. This, this equipping that God offers. Three things. There could be more here, but I'm going to give you three things on equipping this morning. What it means to be equipped is to be sharpened for service, to be built and bettered into something bigger, and to eventually, by God's grace, attain a maturity in our faith. Okay? Those are the three areas where we're going. But first, the passage begins in Ephesians 4, where we are told abruptly that Christ himself gave gifts to his church in the way of people. That he provided, Christ himself has provided for his church precisely what they need for healthy growth. So I want you to think about that. You know what it is to have unhealthy growth. We can have an unhealthy diet. We can have an unhealthy lifestyle. We will still grow, but it tends to be what? Malformed growth. Unhealthy growth. Christ says that he has given a gift in the way of people to his church. And specifically he says those people are that he's given apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And we can think Old Testament and New that God's always done this. God has always provided a people for his people to equip them, to build them, to better them. Old Testament prophets, Old Testament priests, Old Testament Levites, all helping in the worship and service of the Lord. And then in the New Testament, we see the very same thing. Jesus, through his disciples, Jesus gifting them, Jesus providing evangelists that we studied in the book of Acts some eight or nine months ago. God has always, Jesus has always provided what his church needs to grow. Not in a malformed, weird kind of growth, but a healthy growth. And so he gives people to people for the purpose of equipping them. So here are the three points that we'll flesh out. He's given those people, he says in verse 12, to equip us for service. To equip us to do things. To equip us to be a people in the earth. Jesus has intentionally sought to equip you, if you're a member of his church. He has sought to equip you for something. Pretty sure it's more than just sitting in a chair for an hour a week. Pretty sure he is determined to see each of us who are worshipers of him to do more than sit in, in a chair for an hour a week. He has a vision to equip us 
to sharpen us, to use every one of us, young and old, as instruments of his peace in his world. So think about that just for a moment. If you think, oh, well, it's other people who do ministry, it's other people who matter, I'm just kind of a spectator. Well, that's not what Jesus sends people into our lives for. He sends them to equip us for worship and for service. So if you've been letting yourself off the hook, thinking I'm just a spectator in this Christian world, that as we go on, you'll see that's certainly not true. That's not possible. There is something for you to do for the king. So what are we equipped for in this equipment for service? Listen again. This was the reflection that we heard at the beginning of the service. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For those of you who think you can only sit in a chair for an hour a week, listen to this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay, the Apostle Paul, earlier in Ephesians, making it very clear, God has a vision and a plan for his people to do something, for them to be something. And so that should give us a more robust view of our sense of calling. There is something for us to do. There's a person for you to be in God's world. So how are we equipped? If he's going to sharpen us and shape us and and, and equip us to do something, how's he going to do it? That's a really important question. Are we just going to, in the middle of the day, find ourselves hit by a laser beam from the sky and changed? No, of course not. How does he do it? Does he tell us how he does it? Well, he does. Listen to 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17. What Archie just read and what he prayed for us. All Scripture... <clears throat> is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now why? So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So God has given us people to help shape and sharpen us, but how do they do that? They do it with God's word. It's God's word that shapes and sharpens us. And so if we're going to be a faithful church that seeks to equip one another, God's word has to be central in everything we do. That's the shaping and sharpening instrument that God's people, by the power of the Holy Spirit, use to shape and sharpen one another. So let's just think about that for a moment. Is God's word central? Is it front and center in the things that we do? It has to be. It better be if we're going to be a faithful church. Now, I'm happy to say from my experience, it is. Uh, Sunday mornings, I hope that you see from the moment you walk in the door to the time that you leave, Scripture is the common red thread that runs through everything. The prayers, the songs, the sermon. It is central to what is shaping us this morning. We are not shaped by Paul Patrick. We're not shaped by Archie Moore. We're not shaped by Jimmy Walters or any of the elders. We're shaped by God's word. 
as God's Spirit takes it and uses it to soften our hard hearts, to take the edges off of our sinful, sharp selves, right? So God's Word has to be central. Now, you could in your own mind, if you've been around GPC, you ought to be able to track that question through everything that we do. Is God's Word shaping? Is it the central component in our small groups, in our Sunday school, in our youth group? Is it across the board the central shaping component? And you know, from my perspective, I'm thankful to say that it is. And that's how it should be. And that should make you eager to say, well, then I'm in. Sunday school resuming at 9.30? Well, that's a little early. COVID has gotten us all used to maybe dragging our feet in the morning, right? But if God's Word is there, if it's the shaping influence that's being emphasized, sign me up. That ought to be the response of our heart. If God's Word is there, I need it, especially on the subject of human sexuality and marriage and the family, right? Sign me up. Need to be there. That's how those who seek to be equipped, who want to be equipped, that's how we should be responding to the opportunities when the church seeks to faithfully provide them. Same thing for youth group on Sunday nights. Whether it's Pastor Mark, or excuse me, uh, Elder Mark Van Swall, or myself, or someone else, we're teaching from Scripture. And the small group discussion that follows for the boys and the girls separately, those are conversations of Scripture. So if you're a parent, if you're a Christian parent who wants to nurture your children in the Lord, there's a part of you that should say, hmm, I'm going to be inconvenienced and drive them to youth group because God's word's there. Sign my child up. It's good for their heart. It's good for their soul. So we're equipped by God's word, and there's all these different avenues. Women's small group. We need some men's small groups, and we're going to go to work at that in the near future. Men's fellowship, women's fellowship. God's word's got to be central at those things. And when it's central, it's worth being a part of. Amen? If you're seeking to be equipped, you know what I'm talking about. We don't need the opinions of men. We don't need the, the great ideas of men. We need God's word faithfully applied as we seek to live it out in the Christian life. Secondly, not only are we being equipped for service, the scriptures say, now get this, we are being built into something. We are being bettered by God to be a part of something bigger than our individual selves. Now we live in an individualistic society and we're taught from day one to just think about me. Zero in on numero uno, number one, me. But the church has always been, throughout its history, it's had the understanding of being a part of a collected body, a called-out people from the world who together make one body. That was true in the Old Testament. It's true in the New Testament. It's true now. So yes, we are individual Christians, but we're to unite to a body and learn to love one another, learn to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the image of the church that the scriptures have always been communicating. Verses 12b and 13 of the passage that we read. Listen to it again. It says, <clears throat> So that the body of Christ, the people of God, may be built up 
until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Paul says we're being built up into something. Not as individuals alone, but as a collective body. We are being gathered and built up. The Westminster Confession of Faith, which I continue to reference because it is an important document to this church. It is the summary of what we think the Bibles principally teach. It has a language in it that's a little awkward for us. Well, a lot of the language in it can be awkward for us and uncomfortable for us. But when you test it and examine it, it proves to be biblical. Some of that language is this. It speaks of the gathering and the perfecting of the saints. Now think about that for a moment. It says that God is in the business of gathering, calling out of the world, gathering a people to himself, and perfecting them. Now that's the language that should give you some pause as you hear it through contemporary ears. What do you mean perfecting? Do we believe in perfection in this life? There are churches that believe that. There are churches that believe that in this life you can be perfect and you can be sinless. That's not what we believe, and that's not what the confession is actually saying. The perfecting of the saints is the improving of the saints. It's the growth of the saints. It's the sanctification of saints. That's what the language in the confession means. So God has always been committed to the gathering and the perfecting, perfecting of the saints. The scriptures call you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, a saint. Not because of your works, but because of the blood of Jesus and his perfect life that makes you a saint. So you could have all kinds of alarm about that language of the gathering and perfecting of the saints. Whoa, it actually is all very biblical. God has, from day one, been purposed to gather and perfect his people. He is doing something. He's seeking to change us as individuals and as a whole body. To perfect us, to improve us, to sanctify us, to change us. And you know, it turns out, it's a whole lot better to do that in community than as a lone ranger. There's something about growing together. For instance, this morning, who would be in Ephesians chapter 4 if we weren't doing it together? We'd probably be doing something else, given our own natures. But when we gather together, God does something beautiful in the body for the people. And so you can do things in a group that you just won't do alone. That's part of being a part of the body. God is always been committed to gathering and perfecting the saints, growing us in unity and in our knowledge. Not just that we know a bunch of stuff about God, but that we're unified in our service and our love for our neighbor. That's the big aim of being built into something better, being improved, sanctified, changed more and more into the likeness and the image of of our God. 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 4 through 5 speaks of it this way. Listen to this. As you come to him, that is Jesus, the living stone who was rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him. Here it is. 
you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Do you see the imagery? You are being built into something. Each of us individually, like stones, are being built into the spiritual house of God. And he promises to do something, to improve, to perfect, to sanctify his people, that we might become more and more like Jesus. So in thinking about this subject this week, for whatever reason, my attention turned to an almost forgotten story that is now refreshed of Wilbur and Orville Wright, the Wright brothers. Now, those of you in middle school probably are studying this. You know this story. Others of you remember it probably better than I did. But I thought about the Wright brothers, the designers of the first motorized airplane that would fly successfully. And this is what came to my mind, and this is what I researched. So the Wright brothers, did you know that these two brothers who uh, most of their work was in Indiana and Ohio, that's where they grew up, they never finished high school. I thought that was uh, interesting. Neither one of them had a diploma from high school. And Wilbur, when he was a teenager, actually had his front teeth knocked out with a hockey stick. And though he had been somewhat of an extroverted person to that point in his life, apparently when you lose all of your front teeth, you become introverted. So he apparently quit going to school, stayed at home, and cared for his dying mother who had tuberculosis. He wanted to just kind of mm, be a recluse. Well, as he took care of his mother, his father was a minister, a bishop, he began to read the books in the house, and he became an avid reader as his mother was dying. He had to fill his days doing something, and so Wilbur became an avid reader, and through that reading, he became interested in bicycles, and he and his brother, the two Wright brothers, would eventually have a bicycle shop. And they became fascinated by the, the mechanics, the physics of the bicycle. And the bicycle was growing in its popularity. This is the late 1800s. And they had a mind. They didn't know it. They didn't finish high school. But they had a mind for physics, for mechanics, for structure. And that love for bicycles, their minds started to stretch. And they started to think about aeronautics. And how could we get this bicycle off the ground? Is there a way that this thing could fly? And of course, everybody thought, no way. Why would you want to get a bicycle off the ground, right? But their minds were churning, and they were thinking, and they were designing. And countless designs started to become fruition. Crash after crash after crash would eventually lead to a design that worked. A motorized airplane where they would construct wings uh, that could take airflow and turn it into air power. And they came up and designed all this structure. But here's my point. 
they were committed to perfecting the plan, perfecting a design. They were committed to improving. We think, we think there's potential. Everybody laughs at us. They think that we're foolish, but we think there's a way. And so the Wright brothers had this commitment to improving the design, to perfecting the design, so much so that they, thought, they, they saw it through. They would create and understand the three axes of flight control, wing warping, elevation and pitch, and side-to-side rudder action. But it took experiment that failed after experiment that failed after experiment that failed to say, we've made an improvement and this bird will fly. So that amazes me when I think about that, that potential, that commitment to improvement. What would the Wright brothers think today when it was announced just a few weeks ago that in 2029, United Airlines has plans to reintroduce supersonic travel, jet travel for commercial airlines, an airplane that can fly at speeds of 1,300 miles an hour, where we can fly from New York City to London in three and a half hours. Now think back to the Wright brothers, and they're sketching out designs of bicycles with gliding wings. Can you imagine, would they ever have imagined the perfecting of the design that would lead to a supersonic airplane breaking the sound barrier Could they even have known what the sound barrier was? But they were committed to improving and perfecting what they knew, what they knew was a reasonable design. And people laughed, people scoffed, but they saw it through. Okay, that's a long story to say this one thing. Do you think they were more committed to perfecting and improving something than God is his church? God has said he gives a people, he's gifted a people to sharpen and shapen a people, to equip them for service, to build them, to perfect them into something far greater than the world could ever believe, something the world would ever know. And Jesus is committed to our growth, your growth, individually and all of us together, with far more passion than the Wright brothers ever had about bicycles and airplanes. But how immensely capable that Wright brothers plan was. Surely Jesus' plan, God's plan from all eternity is far more. Now, we can laugh at that ourselves. Are you kidding me? I know a lot of Christians. They're not very impressive people. Been in a lot of churches. They're not impressive people. That's thinking humanly. Jesus says he has a purpose for you. He can equip you. And he can equip us to be his instrument in the world. And the world will scoff scoff and laugh. But God is at work. That's what he says that he does. And you can equally think of individuals that you have known that are very different people than they used to be. 
because God worked in their life. He transformed them. He changed them. And they're like that bicycle taking wings. Oh, that person will never fly. They'll, they'll never amount to anything. And then you've seen that teenager who seemed worthless become a college student who showed some potential, became a young adult, became a husband, became a father, and is rearing godly children for the Lord. And you look back at that and you say, well, God was at work. He did have a plan. His system really does work. He equips his people. He shapes and sharpens them by his word for service. And he builds them into something far more than they would have ever been alone. And he does it through his church as he accomplishes his, pur his purpose in his world. Now, ultimately, what is he doing? And this is the last point. He's equipping us for service. He's building us into something far better and bigger than we would ever be for the purpose of attaining what he says is maturity. Maturity in the faith. And that's verses 13 and 14 in Ephesians 4. He says then, as God works, as he equips us, as he builds us, then we'll no longer be infants tossed to and fro in this world by every wind of doctrine, every new great idea that comes along, and by cunning and deceitful men who have schemes to hijack the church, to harm the church, to distract Christians. So there's two things at work here. One is, the Apostle Paul is saying the church is like infants, unsteady on their feet, getting blown and knocked about by everything the world does, and even within the church, getting knocked about and unsure of our, feet, our footing. But he says there is a maturity that's coming. There's a maturity that's possible so that we don't get knocked about, so that we are steady and stable, right? Now, I want to highlight something here, and that is that Paul says, then we will no longer be infants. The Apostle Paul, who we think of as a giant, is associating himself as having an infantile faith, small faith, that he himself gets knocked about blown here and there by every wind of doctrine and the cunning deceitfulness of men. So if he did, and we certainly do, none of us is above it. And there's a lot, you know, I was thinking of this getting knocked to and fro this week. I just feel like this COVID, these two years have shown us a lot of what it is to get knocked to and fro. You know, it's this this is what it is. Oh, no, it's a change of understanding. It's this. And we can be here being like, my perspective is, I don't know. Just tell me what to do. And on the left foot and on the right foot. And we just want to be the church in the midst of what was a pandemic and wearing of masks and doing this and not doing that. I don't know. We can feel like we're getting knocked to and fro. Depends on what channel you watch as to what news you're told, right? It's true on both sides of the aisle, left and right. You're given certain information to knock you to and fro, to make you red-faced angry at some people, to keep you in the dark and ignorant of some things going on. That's the world in which we live, and I, I, I do think that echoes what Paul is saying here. 
We will get knocked to and fro. We could have all kinds of fights amongst ourselves until we attain the unity of the body and maturity in the faith. Then we can kind of look at all the chaos and the winds blowing and see it for what it is. But the church should not be so easily blown as infants, as little ones. We ought to have a steady stability to us. Okay, we can't all meet together in one small space? Fine. We'll meet outside and do the same thing. Too cold to be out there? Fine. We'll meet in here and spread out. That's being steady and stable. I'm saying, look, we're going to do what we're going to do. We're going to be together one way or another. That, I think, is a mature faith, a steady, stable faith. It won't get knocked to and fro. We're going to be the church wherever we are. We seek to be faithful. We know what we need to commit ourselves to, the kind of people we're called to be. We're just going to do it. Amen? We're called to be equipped for service, to know that we're being built up into something bigger than ourselves, better than we would ever imagine, and we're called to attain a maturity, a maturity in our faith, that there ought to be something to the communion of saints that is truly special. Now, I have a long quotation, but I think there's gold here. And this is what we seek to attain to in our fellowship. These are lofty words you're about to hear. This too is from the Westminster Confession of Faith. This is from chapter 26. I want you to listen to this description of what the kind of maturity that the Apostle Paul is talking about. This is what I think rightly summarizes an understanding of, of a mature faith that we would all aspire to at Greenwood Presbyterian Church. It says this, United to one another in love, we have fellowship in each other's gifts and graces and are obliged to perform public and private duties which nourish our mutual good, both spiritually and physically. By our profession of faith in Christ, we are bound to maintain a holy fellowship and a communion with each other in the worship of God and in the performance of other spiritual services for our mutual improvement. We are also bound to help each other in material things according to our different abilities and needs. This fellowship is to be offered as God gives the opportunity to everyone in every place who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus. That's a mature faith. That's a unity of the body that says we're not only concerned with the church at 1414 Calhoun Drive, Calhoun Road, but the church is across the world. And as you heard Archie in his prayer, we're praying for that church across the globe in its sufferings, in its hardships, in its poverty. And we'll send missionaries, we'll send money, we'll send servants. Because it's not just about the local body, it's about the communion of saints everywhere in God's world. That's a mature faith, seeking the unity of the bond of peace, seeking to promote love and an understanding that God's church is one church. Many different colors, many different faces, many different locations, many different sizes but it's one people 
and we care for one another. We are to care for one another. We don't do it like we should, but that's the ideal. That's what we're called to. So to sum all this up, to put it together, to land the plane and to prepare to come to the Lord's table this morning, I want to sum up reach, nurture, and equip with the simplest of stories. This trifold purpose all put together in one little story that has come up in the news in the last few weeks. Bear with me for a moment. Have you heard of Leon the Lobster? It's a marvelous story of rescue. It's a marvelous story of redemption. It's a story of reach, nurture, and equip. So those of you who are parents who have young children... Yes, you probably should watch this today or sometime this week with your little ones. But here's the story. Let me get my notes so I don't get this wrong. Especially if you go watch it on YouTube. So a gentleman by the name of Brady Brandwood. Brady Brandwood um, headed to the grocery store one day. He had lobster on his mind. But not for the purpose of eating. So Brady Brandwood had an unused saltwater aquarium in his home. He had the potential to do something with it. He could throw it away or let it just sit there. Or he had this thought, huh, what if I use this thing that I have? And so the craziest thing happened. He decided to go to the grocery store and for about $35, go to that lobster tank that every kid walks by and sees the lobsters trapped in there with the rubber bands around their pinchers. And every child has a question for parents, like, what, what's going on here, right? Well, nobody can afford to buy those lobsters, so they're probably all going to die, but they live in a tank for a couple of months. So Brady Brandwood said, you know what, I got an aquarium, I'm going to the store, I'm taking $35. Now listen to the story of rescue and redemption and hear the gospel in it, okay? That's why I'm telling it. He goes to the lobster tank, he picks out one lobster. All the lobsters look the same. They all had rubber bands on their pinchers. They're all trapped. They're all in the same circumstance. But he chose one, according to his own will, and said, that one. He's no better than the others. He's no different than the others. But take your mechanical arm, go down there and get that one for me. And so they did. They went down. They rescued that one lobster. They put it in some kind of cardboard box, assuming he would take it home and eat it. Paid his $35 or so, took that thing home, and had also bought sand and coral reef and decorative rocks. He had created a place for this lobster, a beautiful place. And had the saline, the salt water, the pH, all whatever you would do for a lobster, had it just right, did his research on the internet, and dropped that lobster after cutting off the rubber bands and freeing him, put him back in a habitat to nurture him, to love him, back to what I'll call Full lobsterness, whatever that is. And so he, and he does this on YouTube. They're like 20-minute videos. He's given about three updates 
Oh, oh, he gave him a name too, by the way. He baptized that lobster with the name of Leon, the lobster. Only later would he have to change that name to Leona when he found out it was a girl. So he didn't know the lobster well, but he loved the lobster. He cared for the lobster. And on YouTube, it, it tells the story. It's fun. It's funny. But the lobster can't use his pinchers. There's no strength because he hadn't used them for months probably. And so he goes through little exercises with the lobster, bringing, you know, something like a pencil or something and training him to get stronger. And, and the pinchers come back to life. He's returned to lobsterness. And as the lobster gets his strength back, he notices that the lobster, this is funny, the lobster starts to rearrange the aquarium. He moves the rocks where he wants the rocks. And he lives in a little corner, only comes out. He's an introverted lobster. He only comes out to eliminate on the other side of the tank every once in a while. And then he goes back and hides. And you would hide too if you had had such a horrific life, right? So he's returned to lobsterness. And the lobster, Leon, I should call him, gets his strength back. Starts to function. He's well fed. He's nourished. He's cared for. And it's about the most perfect story of rescue and redemption. Go watch it. And as you watch it, don't just be entertained by it. That's not my point of telling this story. It really is a rescue story that parallels in so many ways how God would purpose to show his love towards a particular people. He would break their bonds of sin and all that limited them from being fully human and knowing God as they should. And he would nourish them, providing apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to equip them to be fully human. And they would grow and they would have their differences. And the church always had and has always quibbled and fought. But, but there's a progress, a, a perfecting, an improving, a sanctifying to being who they should be. It's a beautiful story of redemption. God has said he's doing the same thing in the lives of his people, his church. And you should see that in yourself, and we should see it in one another and in our families. We want to be a kind of family that reaches and nurtures and equips God's people for God's worship and for God's service in God's world. It's about as simply said as it can be said but I think that's who we want to be according to Scripture. Is that who you want to be? Do you want to be a part of a community that takes it seriously? Not just to be entertained. We, we don't want to be an entertaining people. We love to have fun in community, but, but to really grow, to be disciples of the Lord Jesus. I, I think that's what we want to be, who we want to be. And this morning, we're going to come to the table, and, and I want you to consider your own rescue story how God has worked in your life to single you out, to call you to himself, to break off the rubber bands of sin, and to feed you to full what it is to be fully human. We all have sin every day of our lives, every breath of every day. But if you're a Christian, you come to the table to be reminded that your sin has been dealt with by another who alone could deal with it. That's what we believe as Christians. And so we're going to close in song. 
then I'll come up and lead us and we'll come to the table. We do um, have new elements today. And um, after we close in song, I'll, I'll explain that. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the, the wondrous love that you have shown a people who never deserved it. And this morning, we identify as those people. We did not deserve your love, but you, by grace, have shown it. And so, Lord, we thank you that you now promise to equip us, not to just sit in a chair for an hour a week, but to be the church in the world. So would you equip us? Would you build us? Would you grow us to attain true maturity? We ask it and we pray it for one another. In Jesus' name, amen.